Well, good morning. Well, it is really good to be back here. I always enjoy my time here. And uh, especially when the microphone's right close to my hair. Can I lift this up? Is that okay? Yeah? I'm just a little bit taller. There. That's okay there? Okay. Yeah, it's good. How's everybody's summer going so far? Good? Is it going by fast? Yeah, too fast. I agree. I can hardly believe it's uh, it's the end of end of July here already. It's getting close to to that time. I can't believe it. It's been uh, we've had uh, a crazy kind of few months here in my family with Tracy's um, <coughs> dad uh, needed surgery, had a massive stroke, and her mom has Alzheimer's dementia. But her mom was the caretaker and. So I barely see my wife for the past two months. It's been a it's been a real challenge. So I really covet your prayers for our family. Um, we are um, we've kind of decided that we're gonna we're gonna make a push to try and go back full time with Abiding Life Ministries Canada. God will not let me get comfortable in any other job. So I'm just gonna I'm tired of fighting it. So well, not necessarily fighting. We're waiting for the right time, and. Uh, during COVID, uh, we, we lost uh, a quite a few supporters just because they lost their jobs and uh, through it all. And so, so it uh, kind of slowed things down. It was disappointing for me. I'm not going to lie. We, we were booked three months ahead, three years ahead. I had bookings three years ahead, and then, and then the government did what they did. <laughs> and, and so it's, uh, it's been a challenge, but we just, uh, we're just starting to really feel the pull of the Lord to go back again so really covet your prayers on that and for our family during this time um it's going to take a step of faith again i thought i already did that and and okay but now he he's challenging me again and it's it's harder it's harder at this stage of life you know uh, kids get more expensive as they get older hey like i'm discovering that so we have two daughters who are college university and and Aiden and his sports and things that he's doing now and so it's uh it's crazy so it's it's a little bit harder at this stage I remember when we stepped out last time I I I, I woke up like breaking out and, and like my sheets were soaked and I'm like what am I doing I had a consistent paycheck monthly from the church here in Provost and and what am I doing? I don't even know where the money's coming from. How am I going to pay bills? I got kids, you know. But the Lord took care of it. He, he really did. And so um, really covet your prayers. We really, we're just, uh, I know the call. And uh, I'm just waiting to see the order of steps now. And, and But God promises in Scripture, where the call is, there is his provision, right? And so it's just trusting that. So I just wanted to, to give you a little update on, on our lives and what's going on. But please pray for Tracy, my wife. Um, um, you know, it's a challenge because her, um, her dad was the caretaker, right? And so her, her and her two sisters are traveling back and forth trying to take care of both of them. And, and uh, that massive stroke. Uh, Ken has to learn how to walk again. Um, he's got a little bit of movement out of his left arm. He's lost vision, so he can't drive anymore. So it's... He's prayed, I think, like 30 times. I was telling Donna uh, about 30 times, God, just take me home, please. So um, he went in in a bit of a depressive state, you know, looking after. He's lost his wife, right? She's still alive, but it's not the woman that he, he knew and married, right? That's the the reality and, and the hardness of, of that disease, right? 
So it's, it's, I told him it's like experiencing a death, right? It's, it's a loss of that relationship because it's not there anymore, but they're still alive, right? And so, so yeah, we could, we really cover your prayers. Um, I wanted to talk about rest today. Um, rest is kind of the key word. And, uh, and where do we find it? What does it look like? Um, and so um, it's what um, many people have been coming into my office and, and wanting to talk about. Um, people are tired. And, uh, and people are confused. People are mentally exhausted, emotionally exhausted, um, physically exhausted. And it's a good thing that God talks about rest. Right? There is a rest. In fact, in, in, in my traveling around the world, um, this is one of the beauties. Um, in, in traveling around the world, <coughs> it's, it's a different kind of education. It's a much different kind of education. And I get to ask questions from different people all around the world to see, hey, is this culture different from this culture? Is this country different, how they think from this country? But one thing that is common is I've discovered in asking this question all around the world is everybody has this in common. And uh, the question that I've asked is, what is your end goal? What is your goal by the end of your life? What are you looking for? Like, what is it that you really want? What is it that you need on a day-to-day -day basis? What is it that you desire? Kind of that kind of question. What, what is your end goal here? What, what do you want? What do you want on a day-to-day -day basis? What is it that you're looking for? Moment by moment. And the number one answer that I get from everybody is, I just want rest. Not just physical rest, but a deep-seated rest. I want that peace that passes understanding. I want to feel fulfilled every moment of my day. I want to be satisfied. I just want to, I just want to live freely in every moment. I want to live like I really am free. Like when Jesus said, it's for freedom that I've set you free. I just want to live that way. But ultimately, the word that it comes down to is rest. I just, I just want rest. I want rest on a daily basis. How, does that sound good to everybody? Like I just want rest. I, I, really, I really want rest. It's interesting. In, in John chapter 6, and I'll just, I'll just read from it here. Um, probably my favorite book in the Bible. I really, really love John. John was known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Well, he loved everybody, but John, you know, he's like, he really loved me, though. He really loved me. In, um, in John chapter uh, 6, and I'm just going to back up a little bit. So Jesus just fed the 5,000, okay, at the start of John chapter 6. And then it says, when evening came, that's when Jesus walked on water. And remember, they were frightened. And they're like, get away. And Jesus like, hey, guys, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then they immediately took him on the boat. <laughs> Whoa, get away from me. Oh, it's you. Come in. Right? So he's walking on water. And then the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Isn't that funny he says that? After he had given thanks. 
Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Like, isn't that, hey, isn't that interesting? Like, we're going to do whatever it takes to find this guy. Because as I listen to him, something happens in me. Right? Like, there's something that happens. Let's go find him. Like, they went alone on those boats. Where is he? Let's go find him. They, so they're like, we got to find this guy. Like, his words that he brings does something in me. Makes me feel good. It convicts me right to the core. It challenges me. But at the end of the day, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel good. And so they go in search of Jesus. And then it says in verse 25, they found him, right? They're bound and determined. Hey, Fred, you go this way. Billy, you go that way. The rest of us, you go this way, and we'll go this way. We'll eventually find him. And we'll call each other on our cell phones. So when they found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He's challenging them, right? You found me because you loved the free bread. Right? You had your fill. And Jesus says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. I will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Jesus is saying, I'm the real deal. The Father has given me his stamp of approval, the golden seal, right? I'm it. Then here's what's interesting, and I want to kind of camp on this for a little bit. Then they asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? Isn't that interesting? We're always focused on what do we have to do, right? What do we have to do? We're so focused on the do. Lord, what is it? What is it that we have to do? What is it the work that God requires? I don't know if I've ever shared this here, but I remember when I was a young pastor, I, um, I bought a book and it had every teaching and commandment of Jesus because I was bound to fulfill it. I'm going to do this. You know? And, and I just didn't quite get it yet, right? I'm going to be honest. I was young and dumb, right? And uh, the younger I was, the, the younger I was, the more I knew. The older I've gotten, the less I know. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> and so, so I, you know, I bought this book, and I'm going to follow this. I'm going to do every commandment and teaching Jesus. Well, I couldn't, even, I couldn't even get past the first page on my own. The very book I bought to bless me actually cursed me. I can't do it, right? And so we're, we're so focused. What is, it, what is it, Lord? What is it that God requires? What is the work that you have? What, what is it that we need to do? And Jesus answered them, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's it. And then he moves on to something else. Well, what sign then? You, right? That's it. And I, I don't know if they heard it or not. I don't know if they saw it. But that's all Jesus said. What is it the work that God requires of us to do? Simple, Jesus said. Believe in the one he has sent. That's it. 
Can it be that simple? I mean, can it? Can it be that simple? Simply believe in the one he sent? I mean, he didn't give them a Christian list. Where's the Christian list? Because I meet a lot of Christians. Man, I, oh, you should have seen my list. I had a doozy list, man. My list was huge, right? Got to read a chapter a day. Chapter a day keeps Satan away, don't you know? Right? Get on your knees and fight like a man. You better get praying. Right? You better go share your faith. Got to go share your faith. You got to go share. You got to fill these pews. Got to give money. I have to give money. Got to give money. Got to give money. Got to help the poor and the needy. I'm supposed to go help the poor and the needy. Man, I don't know what's on your Christian list today. But here's the problem with having a list. You start living to the list and you no longer live to him. That's the problem. And what does Jesus say? Come to me. Come to me. Just come to me. All you who are weak, weary, heavy-hearted. Take my yoke upon you. It's light and it's easy. And you will find rest for your souls. See, rest is only found in him. Amen? Like true rest. That deep-seated rest that the world's looking for, it's only found in him. So, but I, I just meet so many Christians, you know, who, who have this huge list of everything we do. But Jesus said, what is it the work that God requires us to do? Like, what is it that you want from us? Like, what do we need to do? Jesus says, simple. Believe in the one he has sent. Believe in me. But it, can it be that simple? I just, can it be? You know, I've decided at this point in my walk with the Lord that if somebody brings me a complex gospel, I decide it's not the gospel. It's just not. Because Jesus came and simplified what the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and the religious leaders were making so complicated. I mean, they wrote another book of rules that they had to follow. Right? Outside of the Old Testament. Right? They had all these rules and regulations and Jesus is like, man, this is, God's like, it's getting out of hand. I think it's time. Right? And so Jesus came and he simplified everything. Why? Because if this is the gospel for the world, should it not be for the very weakest person in this world? Should it not be for my autistic friend? Should it not be for the prostitute? Should it not be for the mentally handicapped, physically handicapped? I mean, amen? If it's the gospel, so Jesus made it simple. Simple. Just believe in the one he has sent. That's the work that God requires. Why? Because then he can do the work through you. Because we can't do it. Haven't we proved that? By myself, I can do everything. No. Haven't our lives proven that? Like, I should never have to preach that till I'm blue in the face because if we just look at our own lives, I, I can't do it without him. I just can't. I cannot. That's why I have to wake up every day, put my hand on my heart, Lord Jesus, I recognize you. You're here. You live in me. Good morning. This day does not need chat in the flesh. This day needs divinity. I don't want to give the world something like you, God. They need actually the real you. So you come be you in through me to them today. 
I don't want a replica. I want the real thing. Amen? We just need him that much every moment of every day. What's interesting, we're not called human doings, are we? We're called human beings. Right? And you guys have heard me talk about this a little bit. We, we need to learn what it means to be in Christ because the doing flows naturally out of the being in Christ. But what do, we, what, do, what do we focus on? What does the church focus on so much? The doing. I remember I made this major shift in, in, uh, in youth ministry. This is going back a long ways. I'm getting older. My goodness, but I'm actually starting to feel it now. <laughs> and uh, this is a while back, and I remember making this shift when God was starting to speak to me about this, and I said, man, we're so focused on doing, doing, doing. I said, you know what? I'm pretty sure we're going to lose quite a few youth, but I'm just going to focus on, on teaching them what it means to be in Christ. And I'm going to learn as we go to. And we, the, the youth ministry shrunk, and the leadership's like, what is going on here? I'm like, don't panic. Don't panic. I b- really believe the Lord's in this. But we had a core group of students, and they really fell in love with Jesus, and they really got to know him. And they really learned about being in him, and the doing just flows naturally out of being in him. All of a sudden, it wasn't a chore to ask people to come. I better ask people to come to youth groups because of what a good Christian's supposed to do, and hope that they get saved and it just became a chore but now it just became because they had relationship with him they knew him they knew he lived in here and so it shrunk quite a bit and the church is like i don't maybe i think maybe we should fire you (laughs) you know it's 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 not going so good you know i said oh man can we just be patient and this core group of kids you know they really got to know christ and they just learned what it meant to be in him and all of a sudden, it just exploded. But it was natural. It just came naturally. The doing flows out of the being in Christ. Amen. So what is the work that God requires? Remember, definitions are very important, right? Right? Cause, because like, if I believe, hey, I got gold. Right? If I define this as gold... I'm going to be sadly disappointed when I go into the bank, aren't I? Uh, sir, are you okay? Are you on drugs right now? No, no, I have gold. No, no, sir, you don't have gold. No, no, but I was told this was gold. No, sir, you have a water bottle. You don't have gold. Yeah, but this was defined for me as gold. But, sir, you have the wrong definition to gold. You see, if we don't have the right definitions, we truly won't experience the Christian life, will we? And this is where Christians get frustrated because I'm not, like, like Autumn's saying, Autumn, you, you're so, you have such a beautiful voice. I could listen to you all day. You got it from Mama. Dad, I don't, not so sure. But, <laughs> but Autumn's singing this song, right? And, uh, and it, I mean, what were the words in it? I have to try and remember now. But l- let me just think upon that for one second. But definitions become so important because if I don't define it properly, I won't experience the Christian life. Right? And this is where Christians, they get frustrated because we sing of the victory. I was that song of the victory. That was it. 
and I forget which one it was, right? We have the victory, right? The battle, right? You're battling, but the victory's there. And that, that's a great definition. I really like that song. I gotta learn that song. Because it's truth. That, that's a proper definition. You know, and we sing some of these songs, like some of these new songs. Some of the old hymns, they're full of theology, right? Like they're, they're, they're founded on good truth. And some of the newer stuff, I mean, we, we get, we got off maybe a little bit with some of them. But then I sing that, and, and, then, I, and then it forms a definition in me, right? And, and for a lot of people, especially when worship first came out, it felt good to sing together and, and write. I mean, Brian Dirksen was one of the first worship guys, and, and we get groups together, and we're worshiping, worshiping. And then people would get out, out of that, right, and back to the regular routine of life, and, oh, I just want to feel that. So, pe- so I, I began to notice people started to test God's presence with that feeling, Right? And it became very frustrating for people because I, I want that feeling 24-7, right? But now we formed a, an improper definition, right? God isn't there only when you feel him. Otherwise, your feelings are greater than God, right? Because my feelings can dictate his presence. No, God is there because he says he's there always. Remember, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Amen. Colossians said, the fullness of the Godhead lives in bodily form in you. So where is God? He's in me. I and my Father come and made our home in you. So that's a good definition, right? He's, he's here. God never leaves you. It's not dependent upon your emotions. Remember in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Remember Lucy at the very end, she sees Aslan leaving, and she goes, where is he going? And Mr. Tumnus says, oh, did you think he was a tame lion? He doesn't come and go as you choose. He comes and goes as he chooses. Right? But then she says, yeah, but he is good. He is good. Right? He is good. And he lives in me. He's with you everywhere you go. I just think we forget that, Right? So we need proper definitions to this Christian life. Otherwise, we won't truly experience a Christian life. And so where are Christians to find rest? Right? Because Jesus says, and you will find rest for your souls. Right? He's, he doesn't say you should or you could. He says you will find rest for your souls. And so I just want to delve into that a little bit more. Um... You know, I think you guys have heard me say this before, but at this stage of my Christian life, I have my list down to just three things that a believer needs. Three things. You want to know what they are? Well, number one is obvious, Jesus. You know what number two is? Jesus. Number three? Jesus. Very good. I have it down to him. I really believe what Jesus said to this guy. Lord, what is it, the work that... That God that you require, God requires us to do. Simple. Believe in the one He has sent. Because as you believe in Him and as you look to Him, He will lead you in your day. And people are like, well, how do you know? How do you know what God wants you to do? Like He's requiring of you in that day. I said, it's simple. Well, do you read your Bible every day? I said, well, no, not every day, no. Well, do you pray every day? I said, well, I don't know. Maybe. Well, what do you do? I said, 
I, I try to live with an awareness that he's always here because I know he's my source. When I invited his life into me and he made my spirit come alive, he's my source. And I look to him to be my source. And I know he's going to lead me. That's why the Apostle Paul just kept moving, right? Did he wait for another vision? Yeah, because people said to me, yeah, well, it's easy for Paul. He got visions. Well, that's easy. If I got a vision too, I'd know what to do. Yeah, but did Paul always get one? No. Did he wait around for another vision? No. He said, ah, I feel like going to Ephesus. Let's go. So he did. And then it said, I think he, he tried to go to Macedonia or something like that, or Crete or something. Remember? And it said, the Spirit of Christ did not allow him to enter that place. And did Paul kind of like, oh no. What do I do? I don't know what to do now. Did I, do I not hear his voice properly? Like maybe I don't know the voice of God. Did he whine, moan, and complain? No, I said, hey guys, closed door. Let's go this way. Because Paul knew to the nth of his being that Jesus was his source. He knew it. He knew his life lived in him. And so he just kept moving. What's easier to move? A ship that's harbored in the sand or moving on the water? On the water. We were in... Um, my son had a he had a, a hockey tournament in Sweden here in the spring and so I got to go over there and we went and looked at this old boat and this thing was huge I mean this boat was ridiculously huge and on the back you look and I said like what is that small little propeller well that's the rudder I said no it's got to be way bigger than that he says no because the rudder is what turns the ship right and it's just tiny I said, but that's all it takes because it's moving in the water. Faith and waiting in the Old Covenant were synonymous. Right? You move forward in faith. To wait upon the Lord is to move forward in faith because I have a God. I have a God. Amen? So Paul just kept moving. Right? That's a good definition, right? So it's good to stop and take time to define these things. So I can truly experience because Christians you'll get frustrated if you don't because God's not going to give you peace to a false definition of him right why would he just like God will not give me peace where I am working I'm still doing abiding life stuff but it's just like no no why would I why would I make you comfortable I don't want you there <laughs> right you see how that works right so we, we have to get the proper definitions. Otherwise, we're not going to truly experience a Christian life. Just like I never did experience gold, did I? Right? I never truly had the experience of gold. And then when I found out it's not gold, I was depressed and frustrated. Right? Oh, so, so it's wrongly defined. Well, what's the proper definition? Right? We have to get the right definition so we can truly experience the victorious Christian life in the song that Autumn was singing to us. Right? The battle's already won. Why are you battling? Rest. Rest. There's no battle. The victory has been had. Amen? Right? You've heard me say it before. When Jesus was on the cross, he didn't say, to be continued, didn't you, didn't you? He said, it is finished. The work's been done. The veil is torn. 
I love that. I love that one translation. I think it's the King James. The veil is torn asunder. Right? Asunder. It's torn. There's no separation. I'm right here. And I've chosen to make my home here. Oh, amen. Yeah, that's such good news. Just, can we just think about that for one second? The living God who created everything, all the beauty around us, like that guy lives in you and me. You ever just look up at the sky at night? Not in town, but where it's dark. <laughs> you know, and you look up and you see the vastness of it. How could you not believe there's a God? And look at it. Like, wow, that guy who made all this, that God lives in me? Man. Look at it, blew my socks off. It's a wonderful thought, and it's the truth. I got lots of time, right? Or do I not? I, I forgot to ask. Okay. When I need to stop, I know when your bums are done, then your head's done. So let me know when your bums are done, and then I'll stop. But let's, let's just flip to Hebrews here. And I want to I go to Hebrews chapter 3 because we're talking about rest. And in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, um, it talks about rest. Right? So I mentioned Matthew 11, right? Come unto me, all you who are weak, weary, heavy-hearted, heavy-burdened. Right? Take my yoke upon you. It's light and it's easy. And you will find rest for your soul. Right? So he's talking, he's defining rest a little bit there, right? Take my yoke, right? The yoke was the big thing that they put around the oxen, right, to move the carts, right? That's the yoke, and it was heavy. And it took oxen, right, to carry that thing. And Jesus is saying, my yoke is light and it's easy. Take that upon you. For if you do, you will find rest for your souls. You will. So let's go to um, chapter 3 and 4 of Hebrews, because it mentions in verses uh, 10 11 of chapter 4 specifically, to make every effort to enter God's rest. For those who enter God's rest, rest from their own work. That's what it says. Um, for those who enter God's rest also rest from their own work, just as God does for us. Therefore, let us make every effort to enter that rest. Well, what's the work that we get to rest from? What's it talking about? What's the author talking about? Who loves working? I mean, some people do. But who loves resting? Right? Most of us do, right? Because that's comfortable. When I think of rest, I think, man, I'm on one of those, what are those swinging hammock, thank you, in the shade, right? Hearing the noise, ah, right around me, right? And I'm just like, ah, oh, rest, this is great. Right? That's what I picture. That's what's in my head. And God says, make every effort. The author says, make every effort to enter that rest. But we get to rest from our own work. So let's, let's bring some definition to that, shall we? That's my goal by the end of this, that we have a better definition of God's definition of rest for us and what that work is that we get to rest from. What is that work? Right? Because again, what did the guy in John 6 ask? What is the work that you require from us? And Jesus' simple answer was, believe in me. 
No, come on. Too simple. Too simple. Uh, so simple, people simply won't believe. People simply won't believe. Let's go back. So, so let's start at, uh, at chapter 3, verse uh, 7. Let's start there. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of resting in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath of my anger, they shall never enter my rest. The subtitle in my Bible before verse 7 says, Warning Against Unbelief. That, that's how they titled it. And I think it's an appropriate title. I think they did a good job of that one. Warning Against Unbelief. So interesting. It, is today a present moment word, a past moment word, or a future moment word? It's a present, yeah. Right? I think I, I told you, you know, the truth I learned in watching Kung Fu Panda with my kids. Right? Remember? Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. But each day is a gift. That's why it's called the present. Right? The present. It is the only place you can experience Christ. Because the past, it's gone, right? It's already, and the future hasn't happened yet, has it? Where can you experience him? Right here in this present moment. Right? And isn't it interesting? He refers to the wilderness, right? The rebellion the author uses. Remember back in the rebellion when they rebelled? Like, remember when he was a cloud by day? and a fire by night like it's a miracle every day like wow why is this cloud falling wow this is awesome it's like god i'm here right and he's a fire by night right he was right there and yet you still chose to rebel that's why i declared on oath of my anger you will never enter my rest and remember the manna that they tried to collect and what was it, quail? Remember? And they tried to collect it for tomorrow. What happened to it the next day? Spoiled. So what was God trying to teach them? Listen, my provision for you tomorrow is for tomorrow. Why? Just trust me for today. Today, he says, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, it's a present moment word. Right? That's why the man is spoiled. No, no, no. Trust me for this moment. And if I can have God in this moment, can I have him in the next moment? And if I can have him in that moment, can I not have him in this moment? Am I getting too far, Tyce? Right? And if I can have him for a moment, can I not have him for a minute? If he can provide for me for a minute, can he not provide for me for an hour? An hour a day, a day a week, a week a month, a month a year, a year a lifetime. Amen? See, that's what God has been teaching me to abide moment by moment by moment. Because I don't know about you, carpe diem sees that day's too big for me. Like right now in my season of life that I'm in, I, I day is way too big for me. Can't handle it. It's just too big. So God says, well, how about a moment? 
How about you just rest in me for this moment? And then rest in me in the next. And all those moments have added up to minutes. And those minutes have added up to hours. And those hours have added up to days. The days have become weeks. The weeks have become months. The months have become years. And I know it'll become a lifetime. And all we have to do is live in the moment. Amen? Yesterday is. Tomorrow is a. That's why each day is a gift. That's why it's called the present. Today, that's where we experience Christ, in the present moment. Verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. I'm going to read that again. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold firmly till the end our original conviction. As just has been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion unbelief the warning against unbelief do you know the only way that you can limit our limitless god do you want to know because he's limitless right but the only way that we can limit our limitless god is by our unbelieving did you know that see if pride is the root of all sin unbelief is the mother of all sin because in unbelief you're not choosing him at all now, I've discovered in my life, and maybe some of you have discovered this too, that God will work with .00000000001% faith. I felt like I've been there before. Right? I'm sure Doug has when he was sick, wondering, am I going to eternity or am I going to stay on earth? God, where are you? Right? God will work with that because you're still choosing him. See, here's the problem. God can't choose for you, can he? Because he's love. Does it not say that in Scripture? God is love. So if I force my wife Tracy to love me, is that love? If I force her to love me, is that love? No. What made it love? Choice. She has the choice to love me back. And God is love, so he has to let us choose. But if we choose to cut him off, what can he do? Right? What can he do? Right? I think I had somebody come up here one time, and I said, it's like, you know, Autumn and I were Velcroed at the arm our whole lives together. And Autumn looks at me one day. Notice how I did this, Autumn. And she says, well, I don't believe you. I don't believe in you. Autumn, I'm right here. I'm right here, but I don't believe in you. See, and we're attached to the vine, aren't we? I am the vine, you are the branches. If you rest in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. See, what can God do at that point? Because you've chose unbelief. Don't, I really appreciate it. Remember that Matt who said, Lord said, I can and I will if you'd only believe. And he said, Lord, I do believe, but... Can you kind of help me in my unbelief? <laughs> right? I, I really like that story. I'm glad it's in the scriptures. Because cannot we relate to that? 
But really, that man still had faith, didn't he? Because he's asking him, help me in my, in my unbelief, right? He still had points, I don't know, probably 2% faith, <laughs> right? But God will work with it. But once you totally know, I don't believe. There's people like, oh, I, how do I hear the voice of God? I can't hear it. I just can't hear it. Well, you truly believe you can't hear it. You're not going to hear it because you don't believe. I remember that accelerated my Christian walk when I was pastoring out in B.C. a while ago. I just said to the Lord, I stood out on the stairs of the church. The meeting was over. Everybody had gone except for Pastor Larry. Isn't that a great name, Larry? Pastor. Everybody needs a Pastor Larry. I miss Pastor Larry. And he's there. what are you thinking about? He said, you know, I said, you know what? Instead of hoping that God hears my prayers, I'm just going to simply believe he does. And instead of hoping I can hear his voice, I'm just going to believe I can. You know what happened the next day in my Christian walk? Everything. Because I really came to the point of belief. Amen. Right? That's why he's warning against unbelief, because then you cut him off. It's the only way you can limit our limitless God is by our unbelieving. Right? Okay. Verse 16. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Who were they that not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So, we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So there's a key point in defining rest. You will not enter God's rest if you have unbelief in your heart. You won't. Right? That's what it says. So they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, that usually means something good's coming. Okay? Whenever I see that word, I love it. Okay, something good's coming. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, oh, thank God. Right? Thank you, God. So, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. Right? Have we not too? We've had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. Right? But the message they heard was of no value to them. Why? Because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Belief. Right? They did not share. So belief becomes a very... Do you know I went to circle that word believe in my Bible? This is when I was pastoring out in BC, and I actually ran out of ink in my pen. It is used so often. Believe. Believe. What is the work, church? What is the work that God requires of you? Do you know what it is? To believe in the one he has sent. Shout it out, sister. To believe in the one. That word is used so much. Believe. Believe in the one he has sent. That's it. That's the work. Okay. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them. Why? Because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. 
Now we who have believed enter that rest. Okay, do, you, do we see it now? Belief and unbelief, the importance of the two? Okay, how we define that, what it is. Now we who have believed, we enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. Did you hear that? The work has been finished since the creation of the world. For how many of us are still trying to do the work of God? <laughs> I, I, I've been guilty of it, let me tell you. But he's saying, hey, just, just a note for you. You're not resting because you're doing work that's already been done. And if you don't see what you have, you'll lose what you have because you don't see that you have it because you're looking for something else. Do you get it? Right? Remember I did this with you guys? Where's my glasses? Where's my... Can't find my glasses. Donna, do you know what? Where's my glasses? Well, I lost them when they were there the whole time because I didn't see what I had, right? When you don't see what you have, you lose what you have because you don't see that you have it. We have rest. But when I start working, then I lose that rest, don't I? And God said, His work has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere He has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all of His work. And again, in the passage above, He says, They shall never enter My rest. Therefore, there's that word again, something good's coming. Since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, their unbelief, God again set a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David as in the passage already quoted, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Right? There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Oh, thank you, God. There still remains rest for us. For those who enter God's rest also rest from their own work, just as God did from His. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Amen. So what is the work that God requires of you? What is it that will limit your limitless God? Unbelief. Will you enter his rest in unbelief? No. I won't. I can enter it, though, in belief. Amen? So what is it that work? See, what is, see remember in the Old Covenant? They had all this work to do, didn't they? Right? They had all this work to do. They had to go to the temple. They had to sacrifice animals. It'd be like a river of blood flowing out of there because there's so much sacrificing going on. There was work to do, right? There was commandments followed. There was rules and regulations. 
But now, because of Christ, this is what the Hebrews, he's so excited because he had to live in that. He had to do all that work. They had to do all this, follow all these rules and regulations and, and it was work. But we get to rest from that work. What is that work? You see, do you remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? Doesn't Eden, doesn't that word just like, ah, oh, it just sounds so nice. In the Garden of Eden, he pointed out two trees and he said, don't eat from the tree of knowing good and bad, right? For if you do, you will surely die. Well, there's three parts to man and one man, right? I have a body. Not so much to look at. Why? Why can't we have a pulpit that covers everything? So we have a body and we have a soul, right? The Apostle Paul refers to all three in First Thessalonians chapter 5. And your soul consists of your mind, your ability to think, your will, your ability to choose to do, and your emotions, your ability to feel, and your spirit, right? So there's three parts to us. So when Adam and Eve ate that fruit, what part died? wasn't their bodies, right? They kept on living. wasn't their soul, right? They could still think, feel, and choose to do, right? It was the Spirit. There was a break in connection there, right? Because they chose disobedience, right? But was God shocked by that? Adam and Eve, where are you? Well, as soon as they ate the fruit of that tree, what did they notice? They were naked. Right? All of a sudden, Adam looked at Eve, and wow, she looked really different now all of a sudden. And she looked at Adam and said, oh my goodness. And so God, so right, they had contrast now. Contrast needed to come into the world, right? Because how do I learn? How do I know hot if I don't know cold? How do I know good if I don't know bad? How do I know I need a Savior if I have no problems? How do I know a God without a devil? Amen? Right? It's how we learn. So they have to eat because without contrast, how can you make a choice? And God is love. And love has to give choice. So there had to be choice. Before Adam and Eve ate that fruit, it's like going to a restaurant and there's three things on the menu. Burgers and fries, burgers and fries, burgers and fries. I guess I'll have burgers and fries. But how do I really know if I like burgers and fries? Nothing else on the menu to compare it to. There's no contrast. I don't know. It's just burgers and fries. All of a sudden, they show up one day. Oh, there's a fourth thing on the menu. Steak and lobster. Hmm. I've decided I like steak and lobster better than burgers and fries. Right? There's contrast. There's choice. But the problem is, see, there was breaking that connection in the spirit, Right? Now, remember in the Old Covenant, the Spirit could come on them, but it could also come off of them. Right? But in the New Covenant, does it come on you or in you? Oh, this is so... It comes in me. I am my Father have come. We're making our home in you. Even in your temple, Chad. We're going to come live in it. We're going to make it here. I'm coming in you. 
so now the life of Christ now lives in us. It just isn't on us and come off of us, depending to my work. Because who did the work? Yes, he completed the work on the cross. So now what do I get to do? I get to rest in his finished work. Amen. I love that because I love to play. And I love to rest. I don't want to work. And Jesus says, hey, bud, my son, it's your lucky lifetime. Because I've done it for you because you couldn't. You were too sinful. But I'm sinless. I made you. So I bellied up the bar and I paid the price for you. So you can just rest in me. Amen. Like it's good news, isn't it? The gospel is good news. We get to rest from our own work now and rest in the completed, finished work of Christ that happens in a past moment, future moment, present moment. Every present moment of your waking day, you get to experience it. Amen. See, I will abide in you as you abide in me. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain, if you rest in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. What is the branch? Who's the producer, the vine or the branch? Which one does the work? Well, the vine. The vine grabs all the nutrients, all the minerals, all the good stuff from the earth, and he carries it up and he sends it to the the branch. You ever look at a tree and you see all these beautiful branches just with beautiful leaves and everything, and then you see one branch and it's just a stick? It's dead? And you know what happened? It's because that branch cut off the life from the vine. I don't believe in you. Even though the branch is attached to the vine. I don't believe in you. You're not there. You can't help. and it dies right and you will feel like death warmed over if you're trying to do the work that he already did he wants you to rest from your own work and he says make every effort I'm gonna Lord because I like your rest make every effort to enter that rest because you get to rest from your work we don't have to live like we did in the old covenant but we still do live like that rest from your own work Because when you invite Christ in, when you choose Him, scholars and theologians use the word a regenerated spirit. Ephesians just simply says, you come alive in Christ. I'm alive. I experience life. And now His life gets to flow in through me. That's why when I'm counseling people, for example, or when I'm preaching, just on my way over here in the car, I said, God, you know these people don't need to hear from Chad. Chad don't got it wisdom. The spirit of Einstein is never around him when he's there. But God, they need you. So I don't ask God to give me the words to speak to the people. I ask him to come and be my very words. Because they don't need to hear something like him. They need to hear exactly. Amen. You see the difference? See, you don't have to work for love anymore. You get to work from his love he's already given to you. We're a people who work from. We don't work for. 
And if you're working four, you're not resting again because you don't see what you have. Right? That's the work we rest from. We don't have to work. We just get to rest in his completed work. And you simply how? How did Jesus feed the 5,000? It started by the words of his mouth. Lord, would you bless this feeding? That's why I start my day that way. God, you come be the divine in through me today. Come be the husband that Tracy needs. I can't even do that, Lord. Come be the father that my kids need. Come be through me everything that I am not. Because I want exactly your life flowing through me to them. Amen? You see the work we get to rest from? How's that? Is that a good definition? You get it? It's good to break it down, right? You're all smiling. I love it. Because it's good news, right? It's good news. Or else you're smiling because he's good to end finally. <laughs> it's lunchtime. One of the two. Well, amen. Should we end on that note? I think I maybe went over. I don't know. So let, let, let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, I, I just, man, Lord, I, the, I know I, we say thank you, God, because I think it's the best we have in our English language. But, Lord, I don't think it always reflects the gratitude we have in our hearts towards you. Because you've done it all for us, God. And, and what do we have to say but thanks? Thanks, God, for completing the work. Thank you that we don't have to go through what our what the people did in the old covenant we get to rest in your finished work that you completed and we believe that on the cross god it's done the battle's over so we want to rest in your victory i may not see it yet but it's there and so we rest in the victory that is ours in you jesus because of what you did we don't need to add to you we don't add we don't take away you're god you've done it so let us rest and let us make every effort to enter that rest every moment of every day. And I pray this for your people here at New Hope, God. That they just experience that on a day-to-day -day basis. And I ask this in the name of Jesus and all of God's children said, Amen. Hey.